So, no, did you go back through all of me and Josh's text messages while you were dead? I, uh, this morning, I went back and laughed at them. Yes, they were funny. Actually, you guys should read that thread here as a cold opening. <laughs> here we go. 9.48 p.m. Bam tweeted his commitment from Christopher Nee. Josh Newberg at 9.48. Brandon Moore committed. So you both were on it at the same exact time. Chris then took the Brandon Moore edit, put it into the uh, text thread with context properly this time, which was really great. Then Chris, a minute after that, says, second story is up. Everything handled. RIP Sinone. That's when we knew you were dead. Sinone died at 9.21 p.m. from Chris. Sad. Sinone died and wrote two articles. You're like the Tupac of Knowles 24-7. 37 minutes later, he is revived. <laughs> Three, two, one. And welcome to <laughs> a Brendan Sinone-less edition of On the Big Three Roll-Up with what? Brendan Sinone. What? <laughs> you tried to sneak that by me while I was gone? Welcome to On the Bench. I'm Josh Newberg. I got my friends here with me, Chris Nee and Brendan Sinone. With our powers combined, we are the fine fellows at Knowles 24-7. Um, welcome to On the Bench. We have a special interview lined up for you today. We have Florida State strength and conditioning coach Josh Storms. Uh, really looking forward to speak with him. As you guys know, the off-season tour of duty has started uh, that started that began on Monday. So we're going to talk to Josh Storms about that and just, you know, general offseason strength and conditioning questions. But before we do that, we've got to address some breaking news from Monday. Uh, the portal was active again. Florida State picked up a commitment from Brandon Moore, a UCF quarter cornerback transfer on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Moore was a two-year starter for UCF and played a key role in the Knights' back-to-back -back undefeated regular seasons in 2017 and 19. 18, uh, Brendan, 18, and 2017 national champions. Sorry, I had to get it out. It's there. <sighs> All right, let's start over. No, I'm just kidding. All right, Brendan, tell us more about Brandon Moore. So Brandon Moore is a Central Florida prospect. He played at Sanford uh, Seminole or Seminole Sanford High School. And, uh, and he was a find, a, a guy that they kind of got under the radar with Scott Frost when he first took over at UCF and his first recruiting cycle. That was the same class that also brought McKenzie Milton, now Florida State's quarterback, to UCF as well. As a starter in 2017 and 2018, uh, he's really, really good. Uh, I'm, I'm going to just put that out there, that there are concerns about his injury that ended his 2019 season and basically prevented him from playing the last year and a half. He had an ACL and dislocated knee on the, on the same knee, the same injury in the 2019 season opener. But he was really productive for UCF. He's a two-year starter. He is someone who was considered an NFL caliber prospect going into his junior year in 2019. He had a great 2018 campaign. You go turn on the film with what Mike Norvell tried to, to do against him in two games at Memphis in 2018. Basically, it was after like the first half and then the first game they played against Brandon Moore. They said, we're not even going to try to throw to him anymore because he was so disruptive. Then they kind of went to the opposite side of the field, almost exclusively for the next game and a half against him. So he's someone that Mike Norvell really respects. He's someone that, if healthy, I think he elevates the cornerback room. He could push to start. He actually probably will push to start again if healthy. Uh, he's an NFL caliber talent. Okay, so with that commitment, 
Florida State now has eight total transfers, seven signed. Um, Andrew Parchment is the one who remains unsigned. He'll enroll this summer. Uh, Chris, what was your take on the on on Brandon Moore? We got the news kind of suddenly. Yes, uh, on Monday, um, we had a couple hours to digest it, and then of course Brandon Moore announced it that evening. Uh, what was your initial take on it? Well, it's one of those things we were actually chasing since Sunday. Sinone kind of led the charge with it. And it's of course one of those because you're working through the numbers, you're trying to figure out would they really take another DB? I think it's a twofold response. Obviously, they did take it. So I think it speaks to the fact that they want to flip that room over. They're trying to redo that room, certainly improve that room. We all know that the defense as a whole wasn't very good last year. And obviously the secondary struggled mightily. And we can list off all the reasons in the world for that. The players individually speaking, the scheme the inability to create a pass rush, so on and so forth. We're not here for that today. Robinson's a guy that I think they believe at least raises the floor and certainly brings some leadership to the room. My initial thoughts on the take was, man, they're tight on numbers. I can't believe they're taking a nod DB, if I'm being perfectly honest. that That's mm-hmm. literally what I thought in the instant moment. Then I kind of thought about it in the sense of like a game. We always love to complain about the play that happened on the last drive that prevented the comeback to winning. When in reality, if you did something better in the second quarter, you wouldn't be talking about a play in the fourth quarter. So we're talking about Brandon in the sense of a number because he's so late in the cycle and they are getting tight on numbers. But it might be somebody they took earlier on who was less of a worthy take in using a number than this kid. So I don't want to say, oh, I think it's bad take because they're so tight on numbers. Because I think that's sort of unfair to the prospect and the player that they believe is an improvement for them. It's a kid they wanted. Again, jumped in the portal quickly. FSU jumped on him. FSU quickly got him. Mm-hmm. When they're doing that, I'm not thinking of it as a negative from this staff. Yeah, I, I had a, a similar thought when I saw, when I heard the news and was you know, we double checked and triple checked to make sure he was going to be a scholarship and not a walk on. I'm like you said, it's just kind of we know the needs. And like you said, if you if you watch this defense, you knew that the secondary struggled for years. We told ourselves the lie, um, us, you know, fan, FSU fans, that the strength of FSU's defense was the secondary. But that's not been true for the last several years. Um, and I I understand trying to bolster the secondary, but if you watched FSU's defense and you don't think that the linebackers need help too, I just can't, I need to see the whole picture because right now it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why you would take three DBs, no linebackers. Um, of course, I think there's a spot for an offensive tackle. I just think at this point, there hasn't been one worth taking. Um, I, I believe that they do still have a spot reserved for that if, if it's available. Um, I, I just kind of question, you know, if you're going to take Brandon Moore, why you take Jarquez McMillian too? Uh, I think they're pretty similar players. Um, Jamie Robinson, on the other hand, kind of stands out. We'll see. I, I, before I, like I said, I don't really understand it because I don't believe I see this, the whole picture yet. I, I, I think maybe this will all make sense once I see the whole picture, but for now I got some questions. Um, I have a theory, Brandon. Josh, if you're interested in it, the whole picture. You want to know my, my whole picture? Yeah. This is yeah. What, I, what I think sure. we're, we're going with this. Late in the late last season, remember Florida State was down to, in the last couple games, what, three to four scholarship cornerbacks available in a couple mm-hmm. games? Does that sound right, Chris? Correct. 
How often would you say they were in some sort of nickel personnel, whether it was a big nickel or a true like Jarvis Brownlee nickel cornerback? Would you say? Well, we saw a lot of it against Duke. I mean, they lived in a four-two-five set for most of the game, most of that game, and that's with them having no depth there, right? So, so that would lead me to believe that by the end of the year, as they were still trying to mix and match pieces, figure out what they had. I understand it was a revolving door at Buck. It was a revolving door at, at the boundary corner, at the linebacker spots and, until the second half of the season. They're still trying to figure out what they are, what they want to be. I think they settled on, hey, with our personnel, what we have, our best chance uh, to hide weaknesses and, and maximize strengths is to go to a 4-2-5, get an extra athlete on the field. Against Duke, in that case, it was Travis J. But they would also use Jarvis Brownlee in some games at the nickel uh, especially like against North Carolina, which is one of their better defensive performances of the season. They actually played defense better in the second half of the year than in the beginning of the year uh, with, with some of the advanced metrics. So I say all this to say that there are still gaping holes in the when they entered the offseason at two spots in the secondary. I think at the boundary spot, they were really, really piss poor with what they had on the on-field production this year. Keen Dent allowed a perfect NFL passer rating when targeted. Uh, he, no one else in the country allowed more than him because uh, you can't get any higher than the 158.3 passer rating he allowed. Uh, Jerry and Jones in another boundary corner was, I think there was only 14 cornerbacks with with higher passer ratings that they allowed than him. You know, Both of those guys may have been injured, uh, may not have been 100%, but the results are the results. So they doubled down, just like how that you would have a couple years ago with Abdul Bello and Jay Will- or Jawan Williams weren't very good left tackles. Uh, weren't they, very good. That's, <laughs> that's like the kind I'm way. Trying of to be, I'm were, trying to be nice. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> but when that position was a gaping hole, and I think that's where this fan base is still at, is saying we need to fix left tackle. That's kind of getting mitigated some. It's it's in the right direction. I think it's still a position of need. What my point is is that the boundary corner is a position that has to be right for this defense to be good. They don't have any clear answers there on the current roster they had in during the offseason. They now doubled down with two six-foot cornerbacks, good length, good experience, good baseline of athleticism. You hedge your bets. You hope you get one of those positions figured out. Then you hope you have the rest of your defensive backs allocated to play a 4-2-5 defense. That's the big picture to me, Josh. I'm not saying it's the right move. I'm saying it's at least there's logic that I can at least follow there and think it makes some semblance of sense. It uses a whole lot of words to uh... – to make your point, but you know, that's what I do. You say, you say that about Jerry and Jones and he was another transfer that they brought in that didn't have a whole lot of production. Um, and they hope to solidify the secondary with Jerry and Jones. And now you're replacing him with more transfers that have the same question marks. I see what you're saying. Um, it just seems like we're hustling backwards a little bit. Josh, when you have a bad, when you have a bad stock, what do you do? Do you hold it? Do you double down and, and keep lowering it when the average is low or do you sell it right away? Well, I also know where to get in and not get in on a bad stock, but, um, you're not limited to only 85 stocks though. <laughs> right. Oh, that's true. Well, it depends on how much money there they are and how much money you have. <laughs> All right, let's move on. You 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 also addressed how Brandon Moore is going to fit in FSU's defense um, within that answer as well. What? Why was he not on the field in 2020? I I understand where he was in 2019. He missed the season uh, with an ACL that he suffered in the uh, in the first game of the year. So mm-hmm. he's out 2019. Moore did not play in 2020 either. What are we? What are we hearing uh, on his absence? Yeah, I asked around with some UCF people on that. So one, the knee injury ended up being a little bit more severe than they initially thought. It was a dislocation in addition to the ACL. 
So it wasn't just a typical, yeah, what, six to nine month recovery for the ACL. There was also the dislocation. There's actually some video I put up on the website of him rehabbing with McKenzie Milton. Uh, both of those guys were, were injured and around the same uh, the same time period and rehabbing together. Uh, so that Josh took a little bit longer than expected. It trickled into more than a year for him. Uh, so that was part of it. And then kind of my my understanding is he, he and Josh Heupel didn't have the warm and fuzziest relationship. He was a Scott Frost guy. Josh Heupel has been quick to move on from players. Uh, in so the he past. was like the DJ Matthews of UCF. I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't go that far. I'll put it this way. Brandon Moore was a honorary captain with McKenzie Milton. They came out and did the coin flip every single game together while they were injured. So that shows you where he was in terms of respect. You think this was like a package deal? No, they are very close though. They are buddies. I'm sure McKenzie spoke highly of Brandon Moore. I think that's a fair assumption. Um, Brandon Moore, just so you guys know too, he was involved in an incident with several UCF defenders and I think it was UCF police on campus. Uh, Brandon Moore wasn't charged. He wasn't actually, he didn't get in trouble directly with that, uh, but he did lose his captain status. Whereas I think the four other defenders who were there uh, were dismissed from the team the way that altercation went. Brandon Moore was with them, but he was not involved in it from my understanding. But that is something that's going to come up if you Google it. I saw that described as a contentious traffic incident, I think is the way it was described. Uh, yeah, and there's some other uh, there's some other details too that I don't know if it was published or not. I don't want to get in trouble and, and say it. Uh, we just move on. It's fine. Brandon Moore didn't actually get in trouble for that. Right, so this that up, to dive into numbers because God knows we love talking numbers. This puts FSU at 24 commitments, 23 signees, correct? They have 16 from the high school and JUCO ranks, all signed with six of those enrolled, and then eight from the transfer ranks with seven of those officially signed and we believe now enrolled. The one looming out there is Andrew Parchment, who to our knowledge has not signed anything, but is committed, expected to enroll in May, as Josh mentioned in the intro. So FSU's at 24. We're working with the belief they can sign up to 26. That's what we were told as of this weekend by direct FSU sources. Um, Multiple FSU sources are saying the same thing. I think that's fair to to say. That leaves two in the sense of the hard number. You know, we believe that an offensive tackle is still definitely something they would like to add and they most certainly want. It's about finding the one they want and they need. And then Destin Hill and Tywon Malone, wide receiver and defensive tackle, respectively, are looming out there. If they needed three, how would they do it? I'm not quite sure, but I'm pretty sure if those two plus a high-end offensive tackle wanted in, it would be pretty tough to say no. But that all comes down to, is there somebody not going to qualify? Would somebody be willing to gray shirt or blue shirt? These are all unknowns that we've not been told are going to happen. We haven't heard of a scenario where it's going to happen, and we don't have knowledge if it's going to happen. I'm a big believer of I'll cross that bridge when we get there. So I'm not going to worry about it until Tywin Malone's knocking on the door and saying he wants to be a Seminole. Okay. So Brandon. Josh had to digest that. Just took him a second. The algorithm was running numbers. The calculator in my head's a little slow. So. Um, the algorithm. Why do we call it a calculator? I got downgraded from algorithm to, to someone crunching numbers. Yeah, we're going to add up it. The algorithm's only for predictions for games. Yeah, that's only for predictions. Oh, or my bad. Predictions. So it's so like I, my simulation that I send it through. I'm sorry. I just assumed it was. My brain is only equipped time. with a low grade calculator. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the one that can do pluses and minuses. I think that's so, every, every calculator ever. 
How do you feel on scholarship numbers, Mr. GM? How do I feel on them? I mean, I did think that offensive tackle would be addressed by now. Like Chris mentioned, uh, there hasn't really been anyone that's been a significant upgrade mm-hmm. uh, that's hit the portal. At least the staff doesn't view it as such. And, and I have a hard time arguing it based on what we've seen from the guys who've entered. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's the only thing that is kind of surprising is that I thought they'd allocate one scholarship to cornerback and maybe one to safety linebacker hybrid. Uh, so they ended up going three scholarships into defensive backs instead of two. So yeah, that's the only thing that's, uh, that's really surprising at this point. Like Chris said, there's still a chance that offensive tackle gets addressed. There's running awfully low on numbers, presumably based on our calculations, but our calculations there, they could know something that we don't know. Mm. So what you're saying is the numbers always work out. Should we get into what, what, what I've done to poison this website? I got mad at Brandon this morning, Chris, and called him at 7 a.m. and yelled at him. I was getting two boys ready for school. At seven. Well, actually, my wife was, and I thought I was driving them, but she <laughs> Anyways, what did you yell at our coworker about other than him passing away last night? Well, throughout all the Jimbo years, I had this great thing going with the scholarship count where I used to just say the numbers always work out. And the fans at, or the, the, the members on Knowles 24-7 understood me. And they understood what that meant. Like, the numbers always work out. Then Brendan Sinone comes trotting in to Knowles 24-7. Hot shit from Year Orlando. two in, he fashions himself as this great fantasy GM. He tells us all about it all the time. Then he slowly creeps in and starts taking over my ability to count scholarships instead of the numbers always work out. Mr. GM himself took it upon himself to start figuring the numbers out. Brendan had to figure the numbers out. He had to every time there was a commitment. Now we got a new tracker. Now we update it. Now we do this always counting. Well, (laughs) we, we work together. And unfortunately, Chris has gotten roped into this because he has OCD and can't help himself. So now and loves counting. Get, he loves counting. Things. I he does love counting. I, I have, I have played to, I've played to, I've got the imaginary, uh, you know, the numbers going in your head, like in yeah, hangover. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's so slow. So back to my story. So slowly you guys eroded the numbers always work out solution. But like most cases in what we cover, it's not solely our fault. It's also the NCAA's fault because they decided that eligibility just wasn't a thing this year. We're going to throw that out the window. Screw it. Everybody gets a free year. Confusing the living hell out of the normal people. So we're dealing with 85 plus returning seniors. We're dealing with, can they sign more than 25? Because this is a unique year, which, you know, there's no legislation on the books changing that outside of the basic backwards forwards county. Yes, I do miss the days of just dismissing it with the numbers always work out. And I still believe this year the numbers will work out. When we fire Brendan, we go back to numbers always work out? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yes, I can't wait. Your contention is that I've ruined things by trying to educate our listeners and readers. You've just complicated it. Yeah, you've just complicated it. You've added chatter to like the day after early or the day after the signing day. 
to the next signing day that we just dismissed for several years and just had signing days. This is so Chris can be mildly irritated by it, not as much as Josh, but oh, it, this, this I, is, it doesn't wake me up at 7 a.m. like Josh. <laughs> I was up way before that. But this is where I think I've kind of enabled Chris and, and played to some of his vices or weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Is like now after signing day, he's like, Snow would probably be a good time to update the scholarship tracker because he can't stop himself. It's numbers right. and it's completing a task. So it's got the OCD with the numbers. Oh, it's his OCD hard. <laughs> it gets the triggers going. All right, let's uh, let's wrap Somebody this up. Somebody here so, has to have OCD. <laughs> Somebody does. That's I true. We, I think we all do to different extents. All right, Sinone, um, before we get into the Josh Storms interview, which is right around the corner, tell us about the tour of duty, which started on Monday, and then yes, take so, us into the interview. So winter condition, oh, real quick, Chris, do you want to talk about basketball? I'll give you the platform for a minute, buddy. Go, go quick. Yeah, we talked to Leonard Hamilton yesterday on the ACC Coaches Teleconference. Game is on for Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. ACC Network against NC State. Talked to Leonard again this morning with local media. Uh, he had said after the Clemson loss, they may have to fine-tune their defense, switch it up, maybe not be so active with switching. This morning, he kind of walked that back a little bit. I think more so he just wants his team to play better. He pointed out specifically that in the Clemson and the UCF losses, He's sort of disappointed by the energy. He said that other teams out FSU to FSU, you know, to hustle the things they've done so effectively for several years now that have enabled them to have, you know, so much success. I think they're 16 and 15 since the start of 2018, 19. Those things that not show up in those two games. He believes this team will get there, but they're a work in progress. But yeah, back on the court. Wednesday, 6.30 p.m., NC State, and then Saturday, they host UNC at noon. So as of now, it looks like they'll play those two, and they've got actually three games in six-day period once they play NC State. So there we go. I was really just looking for a schedule type of deal. I was just saying, get over it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, fellas, for taking the time out to do this introductory part to the to the interview coming up with Josh Storms. Appreciate it. This was fun. Uh, so on the other end of this commercial break, we're going to have Josh Storms for about 15 minutes or so. And uh, and basically, tour duty starts on Friday, but winter conditioning started on Monday. So they've started doing some of the, the workouts, the lifting, the conditioning stuff, and then the mat drills, which is tour duty, begins on Friday. Uh, Josh Storms said the first day of winter conditioning, he got 27,000 steps in uh, by, by basically helping the helping the guys out and running around and trying to be hands-on. So uh, it's a really good interview. It's going to be talking about the future and what they're trying to build with the culture of the strength and conditioning program. But also Josh is really reflective about uh, what the past year was like and how that really truly limited some of the development they were trying to do, again, both culturally and then from just the strength and conditioning standpoint with the guys being away from the program with the COVID-19 uh, restrictions, contact tracing, how all that impacted the first year that they were here. So uh, it's really insightful. It's a good interview. If you're a Florida State fan, want to know about the ins and outs of the football program, stick around after the commercial break and we'll have Josh Storms joining us. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. 
So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and joining me now, as promised, is Josh Storms, the Director of Football Strength Conditioning at Florida State. Josh, welcome to On the Bench. Thank you for joining me this morning, sir. How are you doing? Uh, doing great, Brandon. Thanks a lot for having me on. For sure. So so first question here for you. This is a, a debate that's been going on for a couple weeks now on our podcast. I like to eat a sweet potato for breakfast with you know, nuts and chia seeds and peanut butter. Have you ever indulged in a sweet potato for breakfast? Is that a protein-fueled snack? Um, I don't know if that actually makes my uh, my uh, standard breakfast menu. That's probably one I leave off there. Okay, so so I'm weird then. No, that that, that makes sense. That's what everyone else was telling me. <laughs> All right, so uh, you going into this off season here. This is now going into year two for you guys, and and first year obviously was disjointed with the pandemic. Uh, I guess like what what are you looking for now with this full year of of guys being in your system? Uh, what are you looking for from progress and and uh, gains and that kind of stuff as you go from year one to year two here in the strength and conditioning system? Well, you know, I, I think the first thing we're looking for is, I mean, that we're looking forward to is just hope, you know, hope that we get a full year. I mean, COVID is still a thing and it's very real. We're still going to have to deal with, you know, testing and, you know, guys that may get positive or guys that get contact traced, the the uh, possibility of what the future holds like in the country as far as how we're going to handle this. So, I mean, I think right now what we're, what we're looking at right now is, is, is hope for, for actual full year of off season. Um, but that being said, I mean, you, you're not going to sit here and, and uh, plan out the maybes and the what ifs and try to plan for things that haven't happened and may not happen. You know, we're planning it as if we're going to get a full year of regular development in our program and be able to try to achieve the things we weren't able to achieve due to the pandemic last year. Uh, and so that, that's, that's the exciting part, especially with such a, such a young team. I mean, you know, we're one of the, one of the very youngest teams in the country. So for the, the, almost the majority of our roster, this will be their very first winter program period. Um, and so, so it's exciting. So even with yesterday being day one, you know, you look around and, you know, you, you start a drill and you look around a lot of the faces and you're like, you know, 60% of this group has never seen this before. So it's, it, it's fun because it's, it's, it's a lot of teaching. That's a lot of learning. Um, and it's, and we'll be able to do it with a group of guys that's, that's excited for the work, excited for the challenge to get better. What is a day one like for you? Like uh, for you, as you prepare for it, do you get butterflies in your stomach on that day? One of a, uh, when things start, you just here for business. Like how do you take on a day one of, of winter conditioning and tour of duty and, and that kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean, you know, the preparation for day one started to clear back in, you know, really probably in November. Um, and then, you know, typically what I try to do is have our entire off season planned out, programmed out, ready to roll. Um, I like to typically have it done almost a month ahead of time. Um, usually, you know, kind of 
pushes into a couple of weeks ahead of time, but that gives, gives uh, my staff time to, for them to go over it and them to look at, you know, the progression and, and sometimes even just simple things as far as like the, the dynamics and the setup and the flow and the logistics in the room of, can we do all this in this space at this time? Or do we got to make some alterations? Cause like when I get, when I, when I program it out, like I'm thinking, you know, what's, what's going to fit best, what movements are best, this and that. Whereas like, as my guys get into it, they might, look at it through a different lens, be like, mm, those two things can't happen in the room at the same time. So then we'll make some alterations to, to, to what we do. Um, and then really in the, in the days leading up to it, you know, I mean, you know, we've been prepared enough that we could have started day one, two weeks ago, we could have been ready to rock and roll. But, you know, as those last days go on, you find yourself kind of nitpicking through the things you've done and maybe make a tweak here, massage some stuff there. But a lot of it's just like looking like, okay, did we miss anything? Are we set? You know, cause, cause day one's one of your most important days and it's got to start smooth. You want it to go right, right from the jump, you know, and with bringing in so many new players, there's a lot of moving pieces with getting guys cleared to the physical process and all that. And then, you know, you get in bed that night before and you're like, all right, this is, this is going down tomorrow. You know, and like it's, it's been since, you know, since summertime, since we've done this, you know, and like everybody has the butterflies and stuff in, in their stomach about, how's it going to go or we'll be as sharp as we need to be all those things. And I think that's, I think that's a good, a good sign. That's where you get like ding, ding, ding. Like your, your goal is in the right place. Cause you're a little freaked out by it, to be honest, you know, oh, for sure. And, and then, you know, you, you, that first group comes in and that whistle blows and all of a sudden like you're right back in the flow. It's like, you know, drop a fish back in the water. Like it's still going to swim. So how do you so, feel after day, after day one? Uh, me personally sore. I feel like I did all the work yesterday. Uh, I think, I think my watch said at the end of the day yesterday is up to like 27,000 steps or something like that, <laughs> which, which coming, coming off of a, of a couple weeks of, of less work and some downtime, my, uh, uh, body's going through a little shock today. So I knew there'd be a price to pay, but, uh, no, as far as the day goes to the guys, man, the guys were, the guys did a great job yesterday. Um, you know, we kind of hit that sweet spot of getting enough time off to to refresh mentally and physically, but not too much time off where you're starting to get, you know, back out of condition and those things from when the season ended. So we kind of hit a good spot with that. Um, able to hit the ground running pretty, pretty, pretty solid yesterday. And, you know, I think our guys will tell you, like, we really don't have a, a we really don't have much in the way of a kiddie pool in our program. Like it's basically you're straight to straight to the deep end day one. Um so it's good to jump in and get rolling and then kind of, kind of embark on this first week. And then that'll all kind of culminate with our first session of tour of duty on Friday afternoon. So taking us back to this off season, this past off season, you're clearly Josh, a very detail oriented guy, passionate about your job that, that shines through anytime we talk to you. Uh, what was the off season like for you when it was so disjointed uh, last year in the summertime with the pandemic, with guys not being close by for, for a couple months in the summertime, I guess how much did that change? what you were doing and, and just as a, from a program perspective and then just even emotionally, man, like to, to not have your guys by you. What, what was that two or three months like? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, to be honest, there's a whole, there's a whole host of emotions that go along, go along with that. Um, you know, initially was, you know, kind of, you know, disappointment and frustration because you know with the with the first you know nine weeks nine and a half weeks were with our guys like seeing the progress that was made and the momentum and building the culture the momentum and building the program then all of a sudden you know that morning hits three practices in the spring ball and the plug gets pulled on everything and everybody gets sent home that you thought was me for two weeks to turn into a month turn it into three months you know so at one point during during towards the end of quarantine we'd actually been away from our guys longer than we had known our guys 
in person. And, and, that, and that's hard because you, you know, it's, it's, it's early on, you know, and there's a lot of uh, relationship building going on and just guys getting to know us and how we operate and us getting to know, us getting to know our, get to know these guys and how they operate as well. And, and, you know, that doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't happen overnight, especially for guys who have been through a coaching change before. Typically we're going to keep those relationships a little more arm's length for a little bit longer period of time as they kind of evaluate what these new coaches are all about. You know, I felt like we'd done a great job up until that point. And then now that kind of it, everything gets altered, you know? So now if, instead of seeing guys every day and seeing the smile on a guy's face or whatever it may be, now it's, you know, I'm trying to get a hold of a guy via text or on the phone or via zoom and FaceTime and trying to make weekly contact like that. And, you know, having our uh, roster guys broke out amongst my staff. So each guy's kind of responsible for a section of the team and, you know, trying to, you know, as best of makeshift training as we could along the way with some guys that still had high school weight rooms to train in. And some guys had nothing but a backyard full of grass and figure it out, you know? And so we we're kind of all over the board as far as what we could do training wise. And then finally, when we got the green light to, to bring the guys back, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's awesome. I mean, you're excited. You haven't seen these guys in a long time. You have guys that you miss being around every day and, um, and whatnot and seeing guys work and progress. And so like, you know, you're fired up and you get them back. But then even at that point, you know, you had guys who are in so many different places, you know, you had guys who had done a tremendous, tremendous job because of the situation they were dealt over quarantine of still having a place to train and teammates to work with or a coach to work with wherever they're at at home. You know, some guys were coming off of doing, you know, the bare minimum of running in the park and doing push-ups and sit-ups and bodyweight squats and things like that, you know? So you can't just, you know, okay, we're all back, back together. Let's go. Well, we're all in totally different places and you're not gonna be able to safely resume training at one point when not everybody's at the same point, you know? So then throughout the summer, there's a lot of modification. And even with guys through that period of time that were, you know, test positive or get traced. Now they're out for two weeks. Well, if that happened in week one, by the time they come back, it's week four. Well, they're not in week four condition prepared for week four's work. And so we kind of find ourselves perpetually in the summertime of kind of staying in the same place and not be able to advance the level of training we would typically like to see in the summertime, just based upon keeping our athletes safe. You know, we could have done what we do, but probably not in a in a safe way for our athletes and taking care of their bodies and whatnot. So we kind of stayed really, really kind of a, a general conditioning program for the majority of the summer because there's so much in and out over that period of time. You know, so that, that's I was going to say, Josh. Sorry to interrupt that, but it's so jarring to to hear. I mean, you guys were away from your players almost as long as you, you had known them or even longer than you had known them. Uh, yeah. What that does with chemistry, with buying. And I know that the strength and conditioning program is the heart blood for a, uh, it, it's what makes a football program great. Uh, so to not even have that, that culture, that time with guys, uh, I guess how, how much did that end up impacting what I, uh, maybe I, I guess I'm going to phrase it this way. I overlooked, I guess what, what not having that time would be in the off season. Uh, did you guys, did you end up feeling that in the, in the regular season, like in terms of conditioning, in terms of culture, any of that stuff, do you think that ended up playing a, a role? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 def- it definitely all, it definitely all plays a role. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing with coming back was in some ways, you know, we weren't totally starting over again, but in some ways it starting over again you know and even when guys first came back it wasn't like a mandatory summer program it came back when when you know across the country initially when they allowed athletes back to start working in facilities it was all you know by putting it instantly it was all discretionary which it sounds exactly what it's like it's at the athlete's discretion do they feel safe to train do they 
want to trade, you know? So you got to kind of handle things a little bit differently in that situation because you're so new with guys and trying to make it an environment that those guys want to come be there and whatnot. And then that transition ended up being mandatory again. But even just like I said, you're still working around guys being in and out due to not by choice, but by testing. Um, and then, you know, I think as you got into the season, like we had a, we've had a managed practice a little bit differently than we have in years and years in the past. Cause once again, you had a lot of guys that were in totally different spots at different times. You didn't have typically when the end of the summer rolls around and we turn that team back over to, to be in, you know, full-time football, so to speak, like they're all in a similar place. They're ready to go. Well, this year, you know, that's, that's not the case. And even throughout camp of a guy, once again, tests or traced or whatever and misses two weeks of camp well two weeks of camp is extremely significant you know especially with not having spring ball so you know what we lost by not having spring ball so many opportunities to instill the culture of how we practice how we work how we respond to situations well you've taken that away so now so those 15 practices in the spring you know you're you're learning those things to the first half of camp you know and at the same time trying to get ready to play an opponent you know, so it changes the dynamics of, of what you're teaching and how you're teaching it to a pretty high degree. Um, but I mean, we're, obviously our situation isn't unique as was the same for every other year one staff in the country last year. All right. So let's now f- focus on the future. You mentioned hope, Josh, early on here. You mentioned mm-hmm. hope and, and optimism that guys are going to to be able to have an entire off season. And if that knock on wood here, if that does happen i guess what are reasonable goals and and expectations that you have for this team overall in terms of of growth whether it's uh, for the cultural aspect whether it's uh, strength conditioning just straight up results like what are things that you're looking for from this group now that you're in year two and hopefully a full uh unbroken up year two well i think this is just the way i view it and this may be different from some but to, to me like as long as your your plan in place is sound, and I'm talking the, the X's and O's of training and your progressions and how you load and cycle what you do and all those things. As long as all that is sound, okay, the program is set, you know the program is effective. What ultimately makes that program not just effective but successful is teaching the culture the proper way along a law as you go. You know, I, I know how the plans have progressed week to week to week and where it's ultimately going to take a guy physically. But how far they go on that path is greatly dictated upon the the effort they put in daily and the victories they stack up daily and that compounds over time okay and if along that time if we can instill the culture right of the consistency and the work and hopefully with one of my biggest goals of having this team become more uh more player led and to where these guys realize this is this is their team it's not just run by the uh you know it's not us as coaches telling them what they're doing and what the culture is going to be it becomes it becomes their culture and it takes time to learn that it also takes time for guys to get those leadership reps of knowing how to do that and it also takes reps of being led by your teammates and knowing how to respond to that to make that successful as we go forward and that's one of the biggest goals this year is just to start closing the gap on that more because when you get to the point where you have a very strong player-led team now now you've really really opened up the the potential for what that team's capable of doing you mentioned earlier, Josh, that this is a fairly young group, but especially there's a lot of new players here, a lot of new faces. Uh, when you talk about it being a player-led team, I guess is, is that percent challenges when it is so many new guys that, that you have to kind of instill that culture constantly, I would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, there's 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 no question. And, and I think we have enough enough guys in place that know how to display and model that culture that that's where, that's where it grows from because there, there are great examples to look to. Look to. Um, 
And so let the, you know, as that grows, the other thing is with, ha- you know, the, the benefit of having such a young team, I mean, we have uh, 38 true freshmen right now, you know, that we're, that we're here during the season. And w- with, with that group, you have guys who know nothing else other than the way we do it here, you know, as far as their college experience goes. And so those guys become very, very moldable. And so if you can start, that's, that's one of the, you know, a young team is always a double-edged sword, you know, but one of the benefits of having a young team is what you lack maybe in college football experience, you gain in moldability and buying into the program because, you know, for those guys that are here now, like they, they chose, they chose us, so to speak. They chose this culture that they knew what they're signing up for. And it's not a group of, you know, if you have a very veteran team, it's not a group of guys where, you know, midway through their career. Now coaches change, culture changes, rules change, things like that. And now it becomes a big adjustment for them. And they're already possibly kind of like set in their ways. Well, with young guys, this is, this is all of their experience. This is a hundred percent of their experience. So it lets you hopefully accelerate the uptake of the, of that culture a little bit quicker. And so my final question for you, Josh, is is as this strength and conditioning program continues to to build and to grow and you mold it to your vision and Coach Norvell's a vision, I guess what are the next steps? What are wishes that you have for a program in terms of like I know this past offseason we saw you guys get some some very cool equipment and very specific to what you're wanting to do. I guess what what's the next step in, in taking this strength and conditioning program to the next level as you continue to try to progress it? You know, uh, you know, it comes, it comes a few different ways. I mean, there's obviously, you know, a direction we would like to be able to take the, the entire facility for the future and whatnot. Uh, but, but in the meantime, it's just, honestly, it's, it's, it's having the actual, just the time to do the work, the time to be consistent. I mean, if you're going to be great at anything, it's going to be, you're going to achieve that by consistency over time. It's never a, a lightning strike moment. Now it's happened or, you know, we got a new facility. So now we're, this much better. That's, that's not, I mean, you could have the greatest facility in the world, but you know, that's simply just something you can cut a check for. There's no equity built into that with the the hard work and the buying and those things. And so, for, so for me, I think my biggest goal and the biggest excitement is just, is just the, the gift of having the time to work towards achieving that and be able to have exactly what we need, which is consistency over a period of time. And that's where it's going to develop the results that we're looking for. Not just, not just physically in you know, cleans and squats and benches and forties, but, but in uh, leadership and the response and the grit and the resiliency of our guys. Are you sure I can't convince you to try a sweet potato for breakfast? Um, I, I will, I will, I will give it a try. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> and no promises that you actually <laughs> will enjoy it yeah i mean i may not i may not document it i may not document it <laughs> all right josh thanks so much for your time and joining us here on the bench i appreciate it i know my listeners are going to enjoy listening to this as well really appreciate it man well thanks a lot brendan i appreciate it fantasy warriors i'm heath cummings your guide to fantasy dominance on fft dynasty 
Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here.